Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Pray to stay scam. Nope. <laughs> Liverpool bomber exposes pray to stay scam. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. Now, you may well not know what I am talking about with this, and you know why that would be? Because even though there was this attack in Liverpool in the UK last weekend, um, and it was quite a serious attack, could have been uh, even more serious. It was serious in a number of ways. People, Nobody except the uh, suicide bomber died, thank goodness, but it could have been a, a total disaster. In any case, um, you know, it's a, it was an act of terrorism that... Um, that uh, certainly got the attention of everybody in the UK, and yet the mainstream media in the United States uh, narry a sound, deafening, deafening uh, silence for terrorism. Now, this, as you may know, if you've listened to previous podcasts where there's been a terror attack and the media hasn't covered it, or very, very slightly, you know, you have to be searching for it. Um, this has been a long been a pet peeve of mine. When the authorities, the politicians, the media, the police wait too long because of political correctness before they identify that something may be a terror attack, when it should be obvious from the start. Now, meanwhile, by not telling the public at least that terrorism is highly suspected, it causes people <laughs> excuse me, to unknowingly remain in harm's way and not protect themselves. Now, there is no reason why it should have been um, uh, so – it took days. Well, the next day for them to even mention the word – the British media, for them to even mention the word terrorism um, in any significant way. And then it's been taking days uh, for more information to come out. I did a tweet as soon as I uh, found out about it. I did a tweet, Liverpool terror attack raises Britain's threat level to severe. Another attack is highly likely. Should have been called terrorism when explosion occurred one minute to Remembrance Day tribute, and the bomber was Middle Eastern instead of delay for political correctness. Now, um, okay, I'll tell you what happened. And then, um, uh, you know, let me let me tell you this, the, the facts first of what actually happened, and then I'll go on. And, and um, why this whole idea of pray-to-stay scam, the one good thing about this attack, besides the fact that nobody other than the terrorists died, um, is, that, is that it exposed the, something that has been happening for years for hundreds of um, people coming into the UK. So just um, you will understand. Okay, so this happened um, on November 14th of this year, a week ago approximately. There was a man, and his name is 
Imad al-Swilamin, and he um, got into a taxi and told the taxi to go to a church where um, there was a celebration, a commemoration going on, because it was um, Remembrance Day, which is also called Poppy Day in England. And uh, this is to remember the veterans, people with people who died and were injured and so on, all the people who fought in the wars, you know, on behalf of the UK. So, um, so it was, you know, that was a, a big clue. People, people, besides his, his being a suicide vest and his being Middle Eastern, you know, and all of that, um, the idea that uh, it, he picked a certain day. I mean, people don't give terrorists enough credit in terms of picking the time and picking the place to be significant, to have a special significance. Now, he got into a taxi and he um, he exploded, you know, his, his vest uh, at 10.59 a.m. In, uh, in, in the U.K. And why is that significant? Because at 11 a.m., one minute later, it was going to be, and it was, for a, a, moment, a moment of silence for Remembrance Day. Now, do you think that that was a coincidence? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, so he got it, as I said, he got into the cab, and he originally asked the cab driver um, to bring him to a church where they were having this commemoration. And the problem is that the uh, it was Liverpool's Anglican Cathedral where he originally asked to go. And so they went on their way to that church. And um, they were there at the church. There were thousands of veterans and military personnel. And there was a parade. And there was the public, you know, thousands of people. Of course, that would be his uh, target of choice. But there were um, uh, roadblocks. And so he had to ask the taxi driver to take him somewhere else. Now, what's interesting is that even though this is what came out, well, first of all, let me say it was the taxi driver who, whose quick thinking um, saved um, people's lives because he then asked the taxi driver to take him to uh, a hospital, the women's hospital in Liverpool. And um, he, he, and he, so he's, Stopped in front of the hospital. Uh, the taxi driver did, as he, as the man asked, and he, the taxi driver realized that the man had been fiddling with something on him, and he saw like a spark or a light. And he, right away, he was really quick thinking, and right away he kind of suspected that the man might, um, you know, might be a bomb. And so he jumped. The taxi driver jumped out of the cab, and he locked the door. So that the terrorist was locked inside the cab, which meant that he couldn't, the terrorist couldn't jump outside the uh, taxi and go run into the hospital with his bomb. And also, it seems that the thinking is that perhaps um, it was the jostling, like the stop of the cab that might have detonated the bomb sooner than what the terrorist had planned. Like, you know, clearly he would have planned to bring it into the hospital or at least closer to the hospital. So um, it turns out that uh, 
This is a man who um, came to the UK in around 2014. He claimed asylum. He applied for asylum, claiming that he was a Syrian refugee because they gave more, they were, um, they were more accommodating to Syrian refugees because it was a war-torn country at the time and so on. As it turns out, the investigators are still not able to figure out, you know, there are various uh, uh, pieces of information, like whether he was, he supposedly was born in Iraq, uh, but then he also has, uh, there are stories, reports that his mother was Syrian and his father was Jordanian. He has something to do with those various countries. Um and it hasn't been pinned down yet. Uh, so that is the basic story of of the incident. Now, the man, um, as I said, uh, applied for for asylum in 2014. He was rejected. He kept he kept appealing and kept being rejected and kept appealing and kept being rejected. And that's how he managed to stay in the country for seven more years, from 2014 to 2021. Um, and the, he, was, um, he was given, he was supported by Christian charities and so on, and um, he managed, he was living, um, he was living in a, he was living in a hostel for uh, asylum seekers for some of the time, he was also living with a Christian family for about eight months. And I will tell you about that a little bit more later. Um, the, 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 I'll tell you the, the sort of the, uh, the, in case there are any more doubts, in case anyone listening to this has any doubts that he really was a jihadist, let me tell you the end of the story and then go back to explaining about the uh, Christian conversion and so on. Um, the scam, the pray, pray to stay scam. Um, and this has nothing to do, I mean, this is only reflects the generosity of the Christian church. It's nothing, nothing, not a put down on the Christian church. Um, it's because of how much they want to help that they were a little, oh, I don't know, naive or taken in or, or overcome by their wanting to help that they haven't been realizing how many of these people were, were doing this game, were trying to game the system. Anyhow, I'll get to that. But let me just tell you, it turns out, even though he, he converted to Christianity, as I said, I will go into in the next segment, uh, it turns out that before the bomb, before he exploded his bomb, um, he was at a mosque all day, every day during Ramadan. That was in April of 2021. And he, in the weeks leading up to the bomb explosion, um, he was also seen praying with his friend, who was a Muslim, in a, in a mosque. And it was in April, in Ramad- during Ramadan, where he hatched this plot to, um, to, to become a suicide bomber. And when he... Bought or rent not bought, but he well he started buying the supplies to make the bomb, and then he also rented a different place. There are two different places where he was living, and one of them was the police called a bomb factory after they went there and they started investigating what was there. So, um, so basically, he pulled the wool over everybody's eyes, and um, 
and really at heart never gave up his jihadist roots. There is a, a different theory, which I'll tell you as well, which is kind of interesting to acknowledge, but it seems unlikely. So stay tuned, and I will tell you more about Imad al-Sulamin uh, and his interesting stay in the UK. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapy Show, where we're talking today about Liverpool bomber exposes prey to stay scam. So we're going to get into that in this segment. Um, he, uh, he, you know, he, there, he, there are two interesting things about him, uh, in particular, and that's you know sets him a little bit apart from the average suicide bomber. There's always something that sets them apart. But one of them has to do with this um, pray to stay uh, scam. Um, and the other one is that, well, this doesn't set The other one is that some people are trying to say that it was mental illness and that he wasn't really a terrorist, that it was because he was mentally ill that he set off this bomb. Now, I'll talk to you about mental illness later, but um you know the being a terrorist and being mentally ill are not mutually exclusive i'll just say that for now so um in terms of his mental illness one of the things that that he might have um is uh, compulsive lying because um uh from the time he came to england um he has been lying to to you know, to the authorities to try to get asylum. Um, he did admit one, at least part of his lies in his first asylum screening interview, he admitted that he entered England with a fake Jordanian passport and visa. And needless to say, um, you know, that certainly contributed to why he was not given asylum in the first, um, the first time. But he also came with a sob story. He claimed that he was from war-torn Syria. And, you know, the people um, granting asylum are not idiots. Um, they, well, the, the asylum system, this also exposed the problem with the asylum system in England, because even though he kept being refused asylum, he kept appealing it and then coming back with different names and then appealing that. Um, so, yeah, clearly it, it not only exposed the problems with the um, a church granting uh, the you know this these fake conversions, but also the idea that um, uh, also the idea that uh, that people would um, that people so people are being too too they need to be they need to be thinking or being more more vigilant uh, in the system and not letting people stay after they've been refused time and time again, refused asylum time and time again. Okay, so um, there's so much. I'm trying to pick out the highlights of this man. Uh, so let's see. Let me talk about, uh, oh, and by the way, this isn't over because first they, they had, when after this happened, they and they looked at his two addresses, they arrested four people, but they let, they let them go. They apparently didn't have enough to arrest them or to keep them um, at that point, but clearly they are still doing a lot of investigation. We don't really know everything about this man yet and about, you know, because was he a lone wolf? 
I mean, it seems like he was a lone wolf, except they're kind of questioning how he could have made this bomb by himself, although I don't know that that is really um, a question when um, there are all these bomb-making uh, instruction manuals on the Internet. So, all right, so let's talk about the uh, the conversion. So he um, he went to... He became a Christian, so he was um, denied asylum. He tried to get asylum in 2014. He was denied. And so then in 2015, he decided, you know, clearly he was, I mean, he was in a, um, in a uh, living with other people who were trying to, who were seeking asylum. So clearly they tell each other, you know, <laughs> the uh, tricks. You know, what you can do, what's the best thing to do to uh, to get asylum. And so one of the tricks um, was to become a, to convert, to become a Christian. And so he did that. And um, he, he went to a, a church where he was able to um, go, take a course. They have a, a, a course for Muslims who say that they want to become Christian. And if they complete the course, and if they convince the people giving the course, you know, at the church, who, um, that they really are sincere in wanting to become Christian, then the church, um, you know, gives them some kind of a, a paper or whatever to show that they have done this. And, um, and then they go back to seek asylum with this additional credential. So, um, so he he stayed with this family, and it's so sad because um, th this family, Malcolm and uh, his wife Elizabeth Hitchcock, took him in for almost a year, and um, you know he, oh he he. Uh, yes, you know, they, well, oh, let me tell you another thing that happened in 2014 when he was denied asylum. Um, he apparently was very upset and he um, had a knife and he went to it with a knife in public and he was threatening to kill himself and threatening to kill others and so on. So he was involuntarily hospitalized in a psych hospital. And that is where this idea of uh, his having mental illness came about. But in the meantime, he worked sometimes as a pizza chef, um, and he was obviously, he was able to game the system and convince people that um, he wasn't a danger. You know, not only this couple who he stayed with, and they were, uh, they were just um, shocked, and they, they said, um, they, he had been waving a knife at people from an, from an overpass. So they felt sorry for him. He was very good at getting people to feel sorry for him. And um, and so they were shocked, you know, that they uh, they believed that they they talked about they told the media, you know, when they were asked about this, they told the media about how that he had convinced them that he really thought Jesus was, you know, uh, he really believed in Jesus and so on, and um, uh, you know they believed that he was sincere, and um, now of course. There is the issue um, where of of how n the church wasn't able to think of anybody who already had a British who already had British citizens I can't talk 
who already had British citizenship who converted from Islam to Christianity. In other words, nobody has come to them and taken this course to convert to Christianity who was is, is, who was who believed in Islam to begin with and, and wanted to convert, none of these people had uh, British citizenship. So clearly that was a clue that um, there might be a reason why these people who were seeking um, conversion might have some other uh, reason in mind. And so um, now the other... The other thought uh, for, you know, the other, the alternative theory for, um, for well, let me just, before I get into this alternative theory, I want to give an alternative theory a fair chance, but um, the, now people are paying attention because of this uh, terrorist, this, this incident. Now people have begun to pay attention to what is happening. Um, and so like the Church of England has been has now been accused of aiding asylum seekers to game the immigration system by helping hundreds to convert from Islam and pray to stay in the UK. Now, again, I am not saying that uh, certainly I'm not saying that the Church of England was uh, encouraging terror attacks. They would not do that. but. Um, but I think people, it's not just the Church of England. I mean, that's part of this, too. People um, in England, as in America, uh, as, it, well, not so much, I was going to say, as in France, but France is waking up a little more. Um, but, you know, there is this denial, just like what I was talking about at the beginning, about how we didn't hear about this uh, terror attack, you know, a terror attack in Liverpool. That's a major city. <laughs> And and to not even hear about it or to hear very little about it in the U.S. is just outrageous. And it comes from a combination of denial and not wanting to realize, you know, not wanting to believe that we are still in danger of terrorists. Um, and it comes from, um, you know, Islamophobia, not wanting to be accused of Islamophobia. Those two things are what keep people in America and people in the UK and, and in Western Europe um, from really acknowledging the threat as being as threatening, as real, as imminent. You know, you can raise the threat levels all you want, but there's still, um, there were two attacks in, in the UK in the past month, so they raised the, te- the threat level, as I said, um, but you know, really, people uh, are not giving it even in even in the UK right now. They're not giving it as much attention in the media, like it's kind of died down some as they should, because we don't want to be scared. We don't want to walk around scared. And I am certainly not suggesting that we walk around, you know, thinking about this every single minute. But we do have to understand. That's why you know the whole thing about that I was talking at the beginning about how uh, why it's uh, it's I it guess me so frustrated when the police and the media. And officials don't acknowledge at the beginning when there are few, when there are clues, big clues, um, that this could well be a terrorist attack. Of course, you have to do more investigation, but at least to say more quickly that this is likely a terrorist attack is because people can't protect themselves if they don't know soon enough. The sooner they know, in other words, 
uh, the more easily people will be able to protect themselves. And this is becoming more important now as we head towards the holiday season because there are going to be more people in stores and, um, you know, all these people who have been talking about the uh, the bedroom radicals and so on, the people who have been uh, lone wolves, who have been uh, uh, getting, uh, studying propaganda in their bedrooms during lockdown, um, this is going to be a time, you know, we haven't had attacks during lockdown, but this is going to be a time, uh, at least not major ones, but this is going to be a time that, that is going to be very inviting for them to be coming out. So anyhow, um, so uh, this this really this is really a um, I mean it's a good thing it's it's a good thing that nobody was killed and it's a good thing that this is drawing attention to um, to this this workaround um, that a lot of asylum seekers have been doing hundreds the church has admitted that they have um, converted hundreds now this is the only Oh, actually, no, there there have been two others, I think, since 2017 who had been converted and then um, were involved in perpetrating a terror attack. So um, so it's just something, it's a, a warning that we have to watch out for this. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk about this idea of mental illness. Oh, I, I will tell you about the other, the alter, alternative theory um, besides, you know, uh, that he was that he was a, a jihadist from the beginning and that this conversion was, was a game. Uh, there's an alternate theory to that. And I, just to be, uh, to be fair, <laughs> to be fair, I will also tell you about this alternate theory. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about Liverpool bomber exposes pray-to-stay scam. Well, um, as I said, I was going to tell you the alternative explanation for that. Um, you know, the first part that I talked about and that I believe is the case is um, that uh, that you know he because he heard from other people who had uh, tried to get asylum and failed, or you know, just the people talking amongst themselves who were asylum seekers that one way, a good way to do this would be to convert to Christianity. And uh, you have to take a five-week course. You do have to convince people that you are sincere in believing in Christianity and that you've renounced um, Islam. But, um, you know, and, and they do weed out people. But I think it's the good nature, you know, of the priests and so on who are looking at these people and who want to convert people, of course, want people to believe in Christianity. And I think that they, uh, just as all of us, are not attuned enough to um, to look for the signs or look for or, or put, put the people through more than a five-week course. I think that would be a good start if they made people do more. Then I mean they, it's not just a five-week course. They have to go to the church and pray and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, I think clearly they need a more rigorous screening system. I think it can be safe to say that, considered safe. You know, as I said, don't speaking about any of this is at risk of being called an Islamophobe. But that's not what this is about, at least for my part. Okay, so the other theory 
is that um, perhaps after he uh, converted, the, the other theory is that he was sincere in converting to Christianity, and that it was only after um, he did that, which was in 2015 to 2017 in that general area, that and 2018, um, that it was, you know, as he, um, when he wanted to keep appealing and, and reapplying and so on, that, um, that, that during this time that he would have been sincere, uh, he did believe in Christ and, you know, and all the things that he learned, but that after that, he was perhaps because of his mental illness, he was feeling depressed or something, and he was vulnerable to being preyed upon by a jihadist. That after he had sincerely converted to Christianity, he was going through hard times and he was, you know, somehow got under the um, spell of a jihadist who, you know, um, who talked him into going back to uh, Islam. And the thing is, because uh, converting is such a sin in uh, Islamic, in the Islamic religion, he would have had to do something to atone for that. This is what the jihadist uh, radical Islamist who he would have who would have met him or whatever would have seen would have said, you know that that I mean and it is true in the Quran there is um, the converting to leaving the religion of Islam is a uh, tremendous sin, and so you the only thing that you can do to make up for that is by doing a greater good deed, and there is no deed greater than jihad, according to the Islamic religion, and according to, this is what Muhammad is said to have said. So, if he was going through a time of personal crisis, and he decided he wanted to return to Islam, he would have needed to do something great to um, atone for his sin of converting to another religion. And that is how he may have been groomed to um, to go back to Islam, and not just to go back to practicing Islam, but to do he had a, he would have they would could have told him that he would have had to do something great as as great as 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 big a deal as converting to another religion, and the only thing that that could be would be um, a terror attack, a jihad. So. Um, it is possible. This is a, a potential other theory. I mean, it is another theory that some people are saying. Uh, investigators are investigating it. Um, you know, in other words, these people, uh, radical Islamists, terrorists, would have preyed upon his sense of guilt for converting to Christianity and getting him to believe that the only way he could seek forgiveness was to become a suicide bomber. So that is possible. An alternative theory, you decide... <laughs> Meanwhile, let's talk about his mental health. Um, and what's so interesting is that, you know, lots of people have been, have been asked about him from his family to his friends, um, you know, people who he worked in 2016 for a, uh, in a pizza parlor and, um, uh, nobody who they have asked or, or, 
or at least who they have written about in the media or talked about in the media, nobody has said anything bad about him. They've all been shocked, you know, it's always shocked. And and his family, to top this whole thing off, his family uh, is calling him, they've talked to various relatives, and it's kind of interesting because they're getting all different stories as far as where he was, well, it was, it's pretty much agreed that he was born in Iraq, but as far as where he lived in the Middle East when um, and so on, um, it's it's still apparently, they're, they're giving different stories. In any case, um, his family say that his, uh, his relatives say that he's a coward who should have been executed if he lived. They are distancing themselves from him, of course. Um, they said one male relative posted online, if he was alive, I would be the first to call death upon him should he be found guilty. <laughs> should he be found guilty? <laughs> he was killed with a suicide vest. Hello. Um, and then also he told people that he was penniless. I mean, that's why he was taken in by this Christian family and treated really well. But but some relatives are saying that he's not the penniless refugee um, he pretended to be. His family is uh, a middle-class family living in Jordan. Or, of course, there are other reports that, that his family is living in the United Arab Emirates. Um, Anyway, uh, that'll all be figured out at some point, uh, hopefully, presumably. Um, now, about about mental illness. Now, well, let me tell you a little bit more about him, and then you can, so we can look at the mental illness question. Um, you know, I mean, he has various signs of certainly having problems, whether it arises to the level of a psychosis, that is not, that does not, there's no real evidence of that unless you believe that being a terrorist is a, you have to be psychotic to be a terrorist. But clearly he planned this for seven months. He planned this uh, since Ramadan. And he made the bomb unless the, you know, unless radical Islamists who, uh, according to this alternative theory, convinced him to, to do this. Maybe they made the bomb. But but he rented this apartment where the bomb-making materials were. So anyhow, but he, he did do some odd things. He changed his name um, from Imad al-Suilamin to Enzo Ferrari. I mean, to Enzo Almeni. And he did this uh, because he loved Ferraris. And he took it from this new identity from the late Formula One boss, Enzo Ferrari. So he called himself Enzo Almeni. And he said he did it, and, and I'm sure this is part of it, to sound more, uh, to have it sound more, more Western. Um, and, you know, of course, this was, he also, and this was, he used this fake name to reapply for asylum. So that was the point of that as well. He also gave himself the nickname of GT after Grand Turismo. And he was so passionate about the sport that he had a checkered flag tattooed on his arm. I mean, you know, to each his own. Um, and then, uh, oh, and then some relatives, of course, are saying that his parents are good people. Well, his parents might not be terrorists, but clearly, even if he doesn't have a psychosis, there is definitely something um, 
wrong that he was able to keep lying, not just about the conversion, but he, he told people so many different stories about his background. And it's interesting because uh, part of it had to do with the people um, smugglers that, you know, when he was asked by various uh, asylum, when he, he went to various asylum interviews, and um, when he was asked, you know, like when he was trying to say he came from Syria because people from Syria were granted asylum more easily than from some other countries, um, they asked him to talk about Syria, you know, to tell them things like he, they were trying to uh, to test whether he really came from Syria or not. And um, he said that the people who were the people smugglers who, who brought him in um, gave him information about, like, places in Syria that he um, could say that he knew, like restaurants and different, different um, um, you know, different things that are known about landmarks in Syria. But when, but when they started asking him about who was in charge in Syria and more detailed questions about it, he couldn't answer. So they knew. The asylum people recognized that he was, you know, they don't, didn't necessarily, he wasn't on a list. He wasn't on a terrorist watch list. But the people granting asylum at least recognized that he posed a potential danger. Or that in any case, that he didn't deserve asylum. Because the point was, he was trying to say, oh, I left out something important, sorry. Um, the, the, the thing about converting to Christianity, besides what I said about seeming more Western and, and seeming uh, like, you know, he would never do anything bad and all of that. Um, in addition to that, the reason why that helps to get um, asylum is because if you were to go back, if you were... Uh, a Muslim, and you were to go back to the Middle East country that you came from, or some Middle East country, um, and, and you had converted to Christianity, clearly that is not acceptable. And so he was saying, and people say, and all the other people who do this scam say, that they can't go back to their country or any country in the Middle East because they will be killed because they converted. Yes, that is a key, a key issue here. Um, getting back to mental illness, and I'll just I'll just mention this sort of quickly because I've talked about this before. Um, you know, terrorism and psychiatric problems are not mutually exclusive, but it is true that people who have um, serious psychological problems are more vulnerable to being radicalized because you, they are typically marginalized from society. Um, they, uh, they are oftentimes lonely and are more likely to be on the internet, scrolling through the internet, uh, and, and they're more likely to, be, uh, to believe the propaganda, especially if they have a psychosis where they have problems um, being in touch with reality to begin with. And so, um, so clearly, clearly, you know, whatever ideas are being brought to them, whatever propaganda is being brought to them, it would be easier for them to believe in that because they have all kinds of other strange ideas uh, coming to them through voices and so on. So these are ISIS or Al Qaeda or Taliban voices, <laughs> and uh, and we know command hallucinations make people do things. 
Okay. Well, I know this has been a rather long podcast, but I find this guy fascinating. I hope you have too. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at TerrorismForKids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.